All right, guys, it's Eric here with the AdCast. I want to thank you guys so much for listening to the AdCast and making it what it is right now. But I want to give a special shout-out to Mr. Will Holdren from Willpower, the podcast Willpower. Will actually reached out and wanted us to be a guest on his show, and we talked about success versus significance, and I want you to take a listen to the episode that we recorded together. Here it is. How's it going, guys? My name is Will Holdren, host of your Willpower podcast, and today we have a very special guest, Eric Elliott. Now, Mr. Elliott is the CEO of VIP Marketing, and he is also the CEO of WeCraft Creative, and he is also the host of the AdCast podcast. So, Mr. Elliott, thank you for joining me today. Hey, Will, thanks so much. Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. Pleasure is mine. So to start off, I like to ask my guests all the same question. Mm -hmm. So what motivates you to get out of bed every day to do what you do? I would say it's my family first. Um, It is my family first. And then there's also, it really helps when you love what you do. And I'm in an industry where every day it's a different challenge. You know, there's always something different. There's always something new. So there's no Groundhog Day for what we, for this industry in the way that I live my life. And so it's always, it's always good to just kind of wake up, know that I got that family behind me and they support me. And then, you know, walking into an industry that I love so much. And for me, it's not work, you know, um, I just, I just love what I do so much and I'm constantly feeding myself on what I do, man. Yeah. Those are all great motivations, especially with family. Absolutely. Um, so what was your, what was your childhood like and how did you get to where you are now being like the CEO of two different companies and the host of a podcast? Man, you know, when you talk about childhood, it almost seems like mine is like a, something out of a country song or a rap song. Um, you know, me, I, uh, uh, I grew up, I was an orphan, you know, I, um, my, my mother died when I was six years old and, um, my dad died when I was seven years old. And so I was raised up by my aunt and my grandmother. And, uh, you know, when I was 12 years old, my grandmother, she passed away too. So my aunt's been in my whole life and she's, she's like my second mother. And so, uh, I grew up in downtown Charleston, you know, we, you know, it's, we didn't have a whole lot, you know, and, and what my aunt did was she did the best to uh, make sure we had everything that we needed. She worked at one of the most pre- prestigious hospitals here in Charleston, and she worked there for over 30 years. And uh, I would say she treated, you know, myself, you know, like, uh, like I was one of her kids. I had four sisters and uh, two and one brother. So there were six of us that my mom, you know, left behind. And and my aunt, she was uh, courageous enough to take on my brother and I and, and raise us up. And so a lot, I have a, I have a whole lot to be thankful for from her. Um, so, you know, that's, that's where I grew up. You know, I just, um, I started out there and, uh, you know, and I, you know, I had some trouble in my, in my teens, probably like a lot of folks, um, you know, a little misguided and misdirection and, 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 you know, and when I, uh, started working in like restaurants is kind of where I started out after high school. I, uh, I used to wash dishes at this, uh, restaurant called Ruby Tuesday. So I was a dishwasher. I was a, the first employee of a, the brand new restaurant here in Charleston. And, you know, this one guy, and I'll, I'll call his name cause I still talk to him. His name's Dave Lutton. He was the managing partner of the store at the time. And one thing he always told me was he said, one day when I leave, you will run this restaurant. And, and, you know, I was, you know, 17, 18 years old. I showed up to my interview in a white beater and, and I, I didn't believe him, 
But, you know, I mean, he was right. And, um, and what he did was, you know, he pushed me. And so watching him, um, I, I would see like this guy, he had like, you know, the family, I watched his, his young kids grow up, you know, and, and for me, it was like, you know, he was a great example of, um, of a good businessman. And he was a great example of a good family man. Cause I watched him work, you know, 10 to 12 hours a day and then go home and come back and do the same. And all I wanted to do was do the same thing he did. So I would work, you know, um, as much as I can. And sometimes I'd work so much and even washing dishes where uh, I just didn't care about making any money. You know, I was making like $4 an hour, four, four $4.75 an hour back then. And, you know, it was a Friday night. I'll never forget this. And, and uh, I was washing dishes. I had my Walkman on, you know, I'm dating myself. And, and he said, you know, he, he called me from the dish area and said, I need you to go over here and start cooking. He said, you see all those pictures? Make the food look just like that. It was on a Friday night, no training. All I had was I had love for this man and, and I had appreciation for work. And so I did exactly what he asked me to do. And at the end of the night, I said, Dave, am I going to wash dishes again? He said, no, you're not. And so I started washing. I started cooking, you know, and I learned every area of the kitchen and, and, uh, you know, from learning fry side to grill side to prep side and everything else. And, and the only thing holding me back from learning anymore was just, you know, I was just a teenager at the time. And when I was 18 years old, there was an opportunity to open a restaurant in Warner Robins, Georgia. And so, uh, you know, I was selected to go and open this restaurant for the back of the house, which we called the kitchen at the time. And, and there it started. You know, I started opening restaurants for Ruby Tuesday. I opened 19 restaurants. Um, and then I troubleshot like six restaurants, meaning like I would go to restaurants that were in trouble. And after a while, opening 19 restaurants, I mean, you see some familiar faces, everything, you know, after a while, all the towns, all the people start being the same and I start seeing these same issues. And then I, I got, I got pretty okay at it, you know, solving some problems. And, and so I just went on from opening to opening and to grand opening. And I just gained so much experience so that, um, when I was promoted to manager, I was probably one of the youngest managers in Ruby Tuesday. And and that's kind of how the fire started burning in my belly. That's impressive. And I think it's really important to be able to like self-teach things to yourself, which you were able to do in your restaurant business. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, first of all, I'd like to say I'm sorry to hear about your parents. And when you were growing up, um, did you ever feel like you had, did you ever have the victim attitude? Like, man, like life is just against me right now. And there's no way I'm going to be successful. And I'm just wondering, how did you get the mindset, you know, that I can still be successful, even though I am an orphan, even though I did come up in the circumstances that I did come up with? You, you know, honestly, in the beginning, I did have that mindset, you know, when I was in, I think, fourth grade, third or fourth grade, um, this guidance counselor, her name was Miss McBride, you know, and, and, and I, I remember these things because they were very vivid to me and they still shape, you know, kind of how I do things today. And we had this group, my brother and I were in the group and there were other people and there was uh, all these people in the group were folks that had lost someone in their family. And so we labeled the group, the death group, <laughs> you know, and, and I thought, you know, like, you know, my, my path was just, you know, this is how life was supposed to be. But the one thing that I, I just kind of had to say to myself was, you know, we didn't have a, a ton growing up and we weren't, you know, so destitute that we couldn't eat, you know, but it was, 
I knew, you know, just because you may be in financial poverty, I had to look at it and say, I can't let my mind be in poverty, you know, because you can check out a book out of a library and just, uh, and read and just, you let your mind escape. Anyone who's ever read a book, you can just escape to wherever that book takes you. And sometimes I would just let my mind just go in other places. So for me, it wasn't about so much of the struggle is just, that's just the hustle. That's just the hustle. Yeah. And um, I was talking actually with my teacher about this the other day, about how it seems like most of these successful athletes nowadays, like they came up in those poverty stricken situations. Mm-hmm. And the main point that we brought up is that all these people, when they were growing up, they were at the rock bottom already. And they knew that they did not want to go back to that point in their life. So the, all they had to do was go upward. They had no choice. But for people, you know, that are like middle class, wealthy, like they don't know what that rock bottom is. And they're they're basically satisfied with where they're at in their life. So they really don't have that same motivation as, you know, the poverty stricken people that later become successful. And I just think that's an interesting point. And even though you weren't that poverty stricken, but I mean, you still came up in those tough circumstances mm-hmm. and now you're the CEO of two different companies. I think that's just, that's just the, the epitome of the, of the American dream. And that's really impressive to just hear about. Man, thank you, Will. But I, I'll say this, I, I'll say this, rock bottom will teach you lessons that mountaintops never will. Right. Um, and it's almost like, you know, when you are on the bottom, the only place you can go is up. So why not just try and go up? Why not do everything you can to go up? That's just the way I look at it, you know? That's just the way I look at it. It's just, I've already, I already know what the bottom tastes like. I know what it feels like. I just don't want it anymore. Yeah. And a lot of people want to be CEOs and millionaires when they grow up. But I don't think they actually realize what the work ethic, like, is needed to become, like, those things. And I know you do because you are CEO. So I'm just wondering, what should people's work expectations be if, if they want to become millionaires or CEOs? I, I think what people throw around that word, I, I hated titles, you know, for the longest part, longest time. Um, even now in my signature, I, I kind of, my title is chief inspiration officer, right? Um, everyone wants to say they're CEO once they get a business license or they're the president of the company or the sole proprietor. But CEO is just, it's more than just a position. Because now you adopt a lifestyle, you know, and you not not only just a lifestyle, but then you have to have habits that come along with that. And some people, um, they think once you get the business license or you are a CEO or you have that title, that it's over with, that the struggle's over with. No, that's just when it begins, you know, and it's and I think when people they, they look at it and say, they look at an industry and say, this is how much money I want to make or I want to be a millionaire. I think that's the wrong thing to do. And I think those people, they end up going out of business faster than you can count. But the first thing you want to do is you want to be able to line yourself up in a business that you love so much. And then you just let the business take care of itself. I have a client and a, and a very close friend. And he says to me, if you do the right thing, the money will come. Right. So just do the right thing. You may be the CEO, but just don't say, hey, I'm a CEO. I can do this and flaunt your title and your position. But the truth is you should flaunt and, and you should flaunt and show off your work ethic. Let people know exactly how hard you work. You know, when you go in a room, make sure everyone knows your name by the time you leave that room. So 
the CEO, the position of a CEO, I don't care about that. What I care about is that I live it. Yeah. Yeah. And essentially what you're saying is your main motive to be a CEO should not be to make money. No. Correct? It should not be. Um, you you want right. to do it, I mean, definitely for what the opportunity the business is going to present to you. But when you look at it and say, oh, we can make so much money, those people tend to fail more. But it's the ones who have more fun and they study their craft and they try and be a lot better at what they're doing. Things usually happen. Things happen more. I mean, yeah. a lot more things happen that way. Yeah. And I know that being a CEO can also be difficult. And I don't think a lot of people realize that because you have so many, you have people working for you, people that depend on you for their salaries. And then if you fail, the company fails and then it hurts these other people too. Mm -hmm. And so what is, in your opinion, what is the hardest part about being a CEO? People. People is the hardest part. It, it is not learning some software or learning a procedure or a process. It is people. You, you have to remember, they are the one thing that change every day. You know, you, you're dealing with people and not only just the people that work for you, but, you know, their families are now part of your families. And sometimes you spend more time with them than you do your own families. And I think if I would, were to say what, what is the hardest part about what I do, it is just people. It's not software. It's not media schedules. It's not media buying. Uh, it is people, people inside of your building and people outside of your building. because this business cannot survive without people. So I think the hardest thing is knowing and understanding people. Yeah. And people can also be, they can also criticize your business and dislike what you're doing. And I think another hard thing for CEOs to deal with criticism from people. And so I'm just wondering, how do you deal with this criticism and just overcome it? Well, here's the truth. Um, you will always have a co-owner to your business, right? Regardless if you like it or not. Uh, you may be the only owner, but you have a co-owner. And the co-owner are the people on how they perceive your brand, okay? Let's just say Nike, for example. I may say Nike is a great shoe company, where you may view it as a great apparel company. But Nike themselves may see themselves as a great sports, sports athletic company, right? So every brand is going to have a co-owner. So the only thing that you can do is know exactly what your brand stands for and be true to it. Because you won't please everyone, you know? You can, you can give out turkeys every Thanksgiving day and, and give out gifts to underprivileged kids, and there'll still be someone out there to hate your business. So... Uh, it's it's always yeah. people and just you know just doing the right thing, man. All right, yeah, that's a great mindset to have. And so you're into the marketing and advertising for mm -hmm. businesses. So I'm wondering how important is it for a business to market and advertise? I would say this: if you are the only one in your category and the only one in your space, and you have no competitors, and people have to come to you, and you have a monopoly. You don't have to advertise. But here's the truth. There's, there are no companies like that, right? There are no companies like that. So it is, it is a, a necessity to every business to market and advertise themselves. Um, you are battling for a position in someone's mind with your service or your product. So the most important thing for you to do is creatively put it in front of those people or, or on the top of their minds when they think about or when they need your product or service. Okay. 
And a lot of businesses are confused about social media marketing and which platforms are the best. Mm -hmm. And so from your perspective, which social media platform gives the best results? You know, it, it would really depend on what the goal is, right? Um, if your goal is right. just to be seen or heard or, or is it to gain leads to your business? So, uh, you know, it's that's that's a tough question. It really depends on the goal. Because if you were to say like one cam one platform is better than the other, then it's almost like every advertising campaign is like a one size fits all, and it wouldn't be that way. But I can tell you like one of my favorite platforms is probably Facebook. You know, um, I like the Facebook platform not only just because there's a lot of users. I mean, some people have their certain opinions about Facebook and and Instagram, but what I do like is it's very self-reporting. You know, Google has to figure out a lot of things about you by your actions and your interests. Whereas like I may tell Facebook, hey, here's my favorite movie or here's my favorite comedian or my favorite sports team. And then me as an advertiser or a marketer, what I want to do is if I want to target people based on what they like or what team they like, I can go after them uh, through that platform. So I would say like my favorite platforms are, are uh, Facebook and Google, but anything that I can track. I'm not really keen on just doing, you know, advertisements, you know, just for a branding and awareness, you know, campaign that I can't track. I like things that I can track. Okay. And for your businesses uh, directly, like, do you mainly use Facebook? Well, we, we do whatever it's fitting. I mean, you know, we actually incorporate Facebook uh, into pretty much 90% of all the campaigns that we do. Um, and that's a really good question is like, we incorporate that because it's, it's almost like when we build this this marketing mix for a client based on their goals. Let's just say if it's a retail and it's a retail client and the majority of the people are women and we look at something like their Google Analytics and say, hey, these people are drawing more people from um, a zip code, you know, out in, in like Beverly Hills, two nine, you know, uh, 90210 or something. So for us, we can look at those analytics and say, well, let's gear our Facebook ads towards 90210 or let's do our digital efforts towards 90210. So it, it really depends on what the client's looking for. But you also want to do your homework to see exactly what success is going to look like for that client before you say, hey, I'm just going to give you Facebook or give you Google ads. OK, and I've done some advertising myself on Instagram mm -hmm. and I'm probably not doing it right. I haven't seen like a lot of results either. but um. For like people that are just starting out with their businesses or their new ideas and mm -hmm. they want to get the word out, like how much money should they be spending on a particular platform or be like how much money should they spend testing like individual ads? Well, I think it depends on the brand side, but uh, the brand size, I tell a lot of clients, you want to spend at least 3%, 3 to 5% of your, your gross sales to be able to truly market your business and be effective with it. I think the one thing that people have to understand is they have to have realistic expectations because some people would say, I've run across clients where they want to spend $2,000 and then they want to, they want to gain a million dollars in gross sales. Well, that's not a realistic expectation. You know, you want to say like, okay, well, if I do this, if I do this and all I need is 10 people and 10 people do me this, well, you want to think about how much you want to spend on on actually acquiring those 10 people to be leads for your business and then how many you think are you going to close for your business so i would say a rule of thumb is always three and a half three percent three percent to five percent but you want to have realistic expectations 
according to what you need, if that makes any sense. Yeah, that's true. I, there, there's so many people out there, like you said, just put in like $500 and expect like half a million dollars in return just from that one advertisement. When that's not in reality how it works at all. No, it's not. <laughs> it's, and, that's, and, and the money is one half of it, right? The money is one half of it. I always tell people there's three things that you need anytime you're doing a campaign. You need to have budget, media, and message, right? So let's just say, Will, if you were advertising and you're spending enough money, but then you know you choose the, the you don't choose the right medium or you don't have the right creative, now you have what you call a mismatch. So you definitely want to have a, a sufficient budget to and have realistic expectations, right? Then you want to make sure you choose the right medium. So if you're going to say the medium is going to be Instagram, so now you've gotten those two things out of the way, and the next thing is going to be the third, which is your message, right? You have to think about it. Now, they used to say you need a frequency of three times to be able to attract people and get their attention. Well, nowadays you need six. So they need to be exposed to your message more than three times. They need to be exposed to your message six times to be able to grab the attention of these people so that you can move up on their ladder or the position in their mind and give you a better opportunity to be able to sell your product or your service. Wow. That's a lot of times that you got to get their attention. I didn't realize that. Yeah, man. Absolutely. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, you market it too every day. You pull out of your driveway and you'll see, you know, 10 advertisements before you go two miles, you know? Yeah. And people that want to start their own business, I know that a lot of them have the mindset like, all right, if I do this, then I'm going to have no life to back it up. Or, you know, like it, they can't really balance the work and life. Mm -hmm. But from your perspective, how can people learn to balance the work and life? Um, I would tell you, um, know that nine to five is if you're looking to be successful, right? Um, Stop thinking success. Just get it out the window. Don't say you want to be successful. Just lose that word. Say that you want to be significant, right? I don't want success. I want significance. Because if I'm significant, you need me, right? If I'm successful, I'm just, I'm just working hard just to maintain whatever the status is that you may see I have. I want to be significant. And to balance that out, I would say you need discipline. If you're working for yourself, you need to know that still there's someone that you answer to, which is the clients. I've had people say, hey, man, I work, if I work for myself, I'd go in when I want to be going. And I say, then you'd be out of business because you need order and you need structure and you need discipline. So the way you're going to balance your life is you have to feed yourself. You have to get up early. You have to get up very early and just be committed. Yeah. Definitely. And in my, in my book, Becoming the Best, I talk about um, how important self-discipline is because without self-discipline, then there really is no motive to do anything. There's no consequences when you don't do anything. Mm -hmm. So I think self-discipline is one of the most important things to get down as an entrepreneur if you want to be significant in the long run, mm -hmm. like with your business. And another thing you talked about is discipline. So discipline is important for like time allocation and having good time management skills. Mm -hmm. So how do you allocate your time and what does your daily schedule look like? Oh man. Um, I am up by 5am every morning. Have to be up. 
Um, so I would actually break down my day in percentages, right? You want to break down your day and say like, okay, what do I need to do? Is it revenue generation, right? And you just kind of divide it out, you know? So if it's re revenue generation, whatever your responsibility is, that is how you're going to allocate your time, right? So like you can say, I want to take 33% of my time or well, let's just say 40% of my time to new business. I want to take the other 25% of my time and I want to org I want to put that towards processes, right? And you can do uh, like the other 35% of your time or so uh, just to say that you want to work on community development or, or, or future business development. So uh, you have to think about those things or what's important. So everyone's going to divide their time differently. But what I would say when it comes to time is you're going to have to get up early and there'll be some times where you go to bed a little late. Um, having rest is definitely sufficient, but you have to get it in when you can. And another thing that I would tell every business owner is meditate daily. Meditate daily. Okay. I've heard that a lot, actually. And what does meditation actually do for you? Like when you meditate? Oh, you know, I, I get another perspective. Um, it's, it's almost like you, uh, you take a nap, you know, um, uh, I don't physically take a nap, but you know, sometimes before a call, uh, or before any meeting, I'll, I'll take 10, 15 minutes. And, and what I do is I focus on me. I focus on the inner me and nine times out of 10, I come back with a different perspective. I'm more calm. I'm a little more focused. Um, I block out the world. Uh, I block out the world and it's almost like I have this outer body experience whenever I meditate, but um, I put my focus on myself, either my breathing, the way I sit up, or I focus on a certain situation and I want to see exactly how I master it. It's one of the, it's, f yeah, for, med for, for me, meditation is one of those things like, um, if you have an hour to get something done, uh, what are you going to do with that hour? Me, I would plan for 55 minutes and then I'd execute for five. A good friend told me and taught me that. Wow. Yeah, that's planning is definitely important. And back to your daily schedule. I mean, you said you woke up at like five o'clock to get that early grind in and that work in. Mm -hmm. Like during your day, do you ever just like watch TV or play video games or just do what society thinks is relaxing? No, um, you know, that's a great question. What I did was um, I actually um, I went through and I wrote all my bad habits down on one side, right, of a sheet of paper. and then. On the other side of that paper, I wanted, I wrote down the habits that I wanted to have. So, for instance, if it was, I'm on the internet too much for recreation, and then the opposite would be, I'm going to limit my time for internet recreation. So, I focused on my bad habits, and I tried to turn them into good habits, you know? Um, I think that's super important. Wow, I never realized that, but that'd be, that's actually a good idea to get down and, like, what's what's like what you're struggling with and just turn those into positive things in your life yeah everyone struggles with something everyone struggles with something i think i think when you can actually sit there and write down your faults and the things that you don't do well on paper and then you write out like your own action plan to say okay i don't work out now the opposite is i'm gonna work out or you know if you say you know i don't eat well the opposite is i'm gonna try my best to eat well, eat better Okay. How often do you do this? Every day. Every day. Every day. Every day. <laughs> Every day. Man. Every day. 
it's it's a high achieving mindset. Yeah, I think I think it's a you're you're a work in progress. You know, um, in the minute that you finish those bad habits or you do well with them, you'll have more bad habits because you're not perfect. Yeah, huh? That's interesting. Um, I'm just wondering, from since you were a child and to where you are now, mm-hmm. are you living the life now that you dreamt of as a child? <laughs> I am not. I'm, I'm, it's, I couldn't have imagined it. I really couldn't. I tell my wife that all the time. Um, because my wife, she's had, you know, similar situations like, like myself and we look around and we try not to judge or measure success. Remember that word by what's in your driveway or what you may have in your bank account. But I want to measure my success by saying, are my children okay? Is my family okay? Am I living my life the right way? To me, that's a measure of success. That's what everybody else looks like, you know? Uh, and remember, I told you I, I want to be significant. But I think if I were to say, like, if you were to ask me, you know, did you ever think that you would be doing what you're doing now? The answer is no. I, I never thought, because I, I thought a long time ago, what I was born into is what I was born to do. Okay. If you could go back to the past, would you do everything, anything different in your life or no? I'd be afraid to touch it. I would be afraid to touch it. Yeah, I'd be afraid to touch anything because um, let's just say if I said, you know, I wanted to go back and be an amazing student. Well, if I were were to go back and be an amazing student, would I be on the path that I'm on now? You know, so it's, uh, you know, I think our books are written, you know, and I just want to just make sure that I just give life a good chapter, man. That's it. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of people have different concepts of what they think success is to themselves. And like you said, I mean, your definition of it is really perfect kind of because you just want to be significant. Mm -hmm. You want to um, support your family and be there for your family. Mm -hmm. And so what makes so many people think that success is like all the money and all the cars and all the fame and everything with that? I think, I think it's because of what they see. I think it's because of what they see, you know, um, I I know, you know, one of my favorite quotes out of a book, you know, uh, or the lines in a book was success is not owned. It is rented and the rent is due every day. Right. So you have to pay your rent every day when it comes to that. It's like, okay, you did great yesterday. So what? Do it again. Got to do it again and over and over again. Wow. Yeah. And that that persistence is hard to keep. Like even in my life, like I struggle to see like, like I'll, I'll ask myself, did I perform highly today? And then like one day I'll do it. And then like the next four days, like I won't think I performed highly and it's just, it's hard to achieve that persistence in, in your life. But I mean, that's what it takes to get to that next level. I, I, one thing I did was I, uh, you know how you can go to like office Depot and get like a 30 day calendar. Right. Um, I did this secretly before, um, I would grade myself every day. Was my performance an A, B or C, right? You know, so like, let's just say if you go through today, you want to set your daily goals. Did I do this? Did I perform well? And give myself, and you have to be honest and say an A, B, or C. But if you gave yourself a B or a C, what can you do to get yourself an A? Because I think we put so much pressure on us to say like, this is how I want to be 10 years from now versus uh, looking at ourselves and say, this is what I want to do right now to hopefully affect tomorrow. 
You see what I mean? So like, you know, I want to do a good job right now. And then the outcome, it's like the cause and effect. I want to do a great job now. And the effect is, you know, uh, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not beating myself up because I know I did a good job or something great came from me doing that good job. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you definitely have the high achiever mindset and that's so awesome to see in people. Um, and I'm just wondering, like going into the next year, like what are some of your goals going into 2020? Um, it's going to be focus for me. You know, it's really like I want to get my vision uh, together, not just for myself, but, you know, for our team. You know, that's what the goal and the mindset is for for us. It's like, you know, I want to be able to develop, you know, leaders within my building and leaders around me. You know, I want to always be able to hire my weaknesses you know, and, and also inspire those people that work in, around me. When you, are, when you are managing or leading people, your job is to hire, train, and motivate the best people possible. And you should do that every day. Man, yeah, that's definitely awesome to hear. Um, before we run out of time, is there anything else you'd like to say? No, man, uh, you know, I, I really appreciate, you know, you, you finding us. I mean, we actually met on Instagram. You looking me up and and, and having me on your podcast, I, I think it's uh, I think it's a great thing you're doing. Um, and I would just tell you, just you know, whatever your goals are and whatever you achieve, your uh, you want to achieve, just keep going. Just really keep going, honestly, and and be okay if you fail. Just be okay. It'll be okay. So just fail. Don't run from it um, because you won't make the same mistakes twice. Um, whenever you fall, uh, I heard you know this quote. You know, when you fall seven, you fall seven times, you get up eight. So. Don't be afraid to fall and don't be afraid to fail. Uh, definitely. I appreciate that so much. Oh, good. All right, guys. There you have it. Mr. Elliot, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Will. I appreciate it, man. Thank you for your time. All right. That has been the latest episode of the AdCast. I want to thank Mr. Will Holdren once again for inviting us to be on the Willpower Podcast. This guy is making moves. I'm telling you, this is a young guy who gets the hustle and who's putting in the work. I want to thank you so much. And this has been the AdCast. Copyright VIP Marketing and Advertising. Produced by Craft Creative. You don't need a marketing agency. You do deserve very important placement. VIP Marketing and Advertising is a cutting-edge strategic digital, creative, media, and marketing partner that provides services for businesses of all sizes. To stay up to date on the latest marketing news, subscribe for email updates at veryimportantplacement.com. When all eyes are on you, make it count. From audio to video to graphic design and more, Craft Creative can do it all. We don't make commercials. We craft creative. See what we can do for you at wecraftcreative.com.